Today on Blue 58, our 2021 season preview continues with a look at the Packers running backs, which may be the most top-heavy position group on the roster right now. Somebody other than Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon is going to have to step up. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. We're going to talk running backs. We're going to talk specialists. We're going to talk blood, sweat, and chalk chapter seven today. But before we get to those other topics, I want to make a mention of something uh, that was either either I had missed or has just come to my come back to my mind for the first time. Now the Packers training camp schedule is out. By the way, Packers training camp schedule is out. They will officially kick off on August 28th, which works out pretty well for us because we will wrap up our preview series uh, on that very day. And then we'll be off and running into the 2021 Packers season. But a reminder today uh, that the cut down deadlines have changed for NFL teams. Again, for the past few years, they've just been doing one big cut after the final preseason game. You go from 90 all the way down to 53. We're back to doing it in stages. This has changed now twice since we've start this, started this podcast. It used to be that they would do it in stages. Now we're back to doing that again. Teams will open training camp with 90 players, then they'll be down to 85 by August 17th. That's right after the first weekend of preseason games. They'll be down to 80 by the second or by August 24th, a couple of days after the second preseason game, and then down to 53 by August 31st. That again, if you're sensing the pattern, is after the third preseason game. All of those are Tuesdays following each of the three weeks of the preseason, so I think you get the pattern here. We're going to have a game, then cut down, then game, then cut down, then game, then cut down. Three times. That is a change over the past years. Just wanted to make a mention of it uh, as something that we could be watching in the preseason this year. And that makes roster projections significantly easier. Those first five and uh, second five cuts will just narrow the playing field a little bit as we go through uh, through the preseason process. But let's talk about running backs. The Packers are going to be making a couple cuts here because right now they have five guys on the roster. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, Kylan Hill, Patrick Taylor, and Dexter Williams. We're going to stick with our process of setting expectations, uh, high, moderate, or low, for each of these three guys, or each of these five guys, and uh, we'll explain a little bit about what that looks like for each of these guys, because those levels might look a little bit different for everybody as well. For instance, the difference between Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Let's start with Aaron Jones. Expectations for him have to be high this year. He's on his second contract as a running back, coming off back-to-back 1,000-yard years. There's going to be, or there is a chance that he could be playing with a new quarterback this year, which would leave him as either the first or second best player among the Packers' skill position players, depending on how you count between him and Devontae Adams. There is going to be more pressure on Aaron Jones, no matter what happens with the rest of the Packers' offense this year. He's got to live up to all that new money. And if you're going to bet on anybody to do it, it seems like Aaron Jones is a pretty safe bet. Seems like a stand-up dude. Seems like he's not taking any days off. Uh, It doesn't seem like money is going to change him all that much. And uh, if there's anybody who's going to get through the adversity of losing his father in the offseason, it seems like it might be Aaron Jones. So I would bet on him having a pretty solid year this year. But what does high expectations look like for Aaron Jones? What does he have to do to meet those expectations? To me, it looks like a combination of his 2019 and 2020 seasons. 2020, he was a hurt a little bit, and I think he still struggled with his consistency, but he still had a great year statistically. 
And he was definitely, I think, the lead dog in the backfield, unquestioned for the first time. I think there was a little bit more of a timeshare between him and Jamal Williams in 2019, especially in the passing game. But 2020, he becomes the lead dog, I think, in a, in a bigger way. He needs that again, but healthy for 17 games, really for all season like he was in 2019. Uh, that's what they need out of Aaron Jones this year. Contrast that to A.J. Dillon, who I think also comes into this season with high expectations. You know, he's a second-round pick in 2020. The Packers let their other top backfield option go in Jamal Williams. Other than Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon is going to be the engine that makes the Packers' running game go. What does that need to be for him, though? What does it mean for A.J. Dillon to meet high expectations? I think for Dillon to make that leap... He needs to be a bigger, better second option than Jamal Williams ever was. Williams was a classic neutral player. Uh, We've described him several times as a guy who didn't necessarily bring a ton to the table, but he certainly didn't take anything off of it. He wasn't necessarily the most explosive runner, though he did have his share of explosive plays. He wasn't necessarily a plus guy in the passing game, though he did make his share of plays there too wasn't overly dangerous is what I'm saying as a runner or a receiver, but he was assignment sure. He didn't fumble the ball. He was good in pass protection. Those are all valuable skills. And if you're not going to have your number one guy out there, you can do a lot worse than a guy who's just going to come in and not mess it up for you. You can, you can have guys that are not good in pass protection. You have guys that just put the ball on the ground all the time. A.J. Dillon needs to be that plus super duper athleticism which we know he has. He can be that super athlete in the Packers' backfield. But can he do those little things that Jamal Williams was great at? That's the important part of his game right now. We know he's a great athlete. We know he's got the enormous legs. He can crack watermelons with his thighs. Uh, I don't know how valuable that is as a skill for a running back, but he can certainly do it. But can he do those little things? Can he hit all the holes he's supposed to in the run game? Can he pass protect and not be a liability that has to come off the field in passing situations? Can he contribute as a receiver in the passing game? He says he can. We've seen a little bit of it. He just needs to do it regularly and do it in games. Not to mention he'll be doing it playing a larger role than he's ever played in the NFL to date given how he was used when healthy last year and how much he missed last year due to COVID-19. So high expectations here for A.J. Dillon heading into year number two. Heading down the depth chart, I think it gets a little bit tricky for the next couple guys. Kylan Hill is the next guy on my list. Somebody's got to be the number three guy, and it might as well be the 2021 draft pick. Nevertheless, I think the expectations for him have to be fairly moderate. He comes out as a seventh-round pick, a pretty good athlete by by all accounts, but was kind of limited in college by a little bit by the offense that he played in. Playing in an air raid scheme gets you a lot of wide open running lanes, but it is a little bit difficult to operate in as a running back sometimes too, because you're not really running downhill a whole lot. You're starting from basically a standing position on on every single carry. Somebody though has to has to fill that role behind Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. And to me, Kylan Hill could be that guy because he seems like the most natural fit for what the Packers need. What do the Packers need? Well, if they need a third running back who's going to be regularly involved, looking to the past can show us what that looks like a little bit. I think 2017 was the last time the Packers really had three running backs that you could count on to be regular contributors. It was the last time that they had three running backs with 90-plus touches apiece. Ty Montgomery was that number three guy. 
He had 71 carries that year, 23 catches, 94 total touches. Doing some very next-level math there to come up with that figure, obviously. Hill doesn't need to have that many touches, I think, to be considered a success to meet those expectations. But if he can be a regular contributor, if he can be a guy who can contribute as both a receiver and a runner and, let's be honest, a pass blocker, he'll be a very valuable piece for the Packers. And I like a guy who's coming off more recent playing time and who has a relatively clean bill of health as the better option for that role than the next guy on our list. As big a fan I am as Patrick Taylor, we have to temper expectations for him a little bit. And I think he's he's in the moderate category as a result. The Packers did keep him around all of last year for a reason. He hit all of our thresholds in the 2020 draft preview process, and I'm not saying that's the reason that the Packers kept him around, but it certainly shows the sort of pedigree that he has. He was productive in college. He's a good athlete, but he was coming off a foot injury uh, his last season of college football, and the Packers uh, kept him on the pup list, though he did practice late in the year uh, for the whole season as a result. So what does that look like, meeting those expectations for Patrick Taylor? I think he's got to at least make the roster or appears on it at some time. So that could look like him making it to the practice squad to start the year and getting elevated as uh, as things go on and and people inevitably get banged up a little bit in the backfield. Basically, I'm asking him to show us why they kept you around for an entire year when they knew that you weren't going to play. Okay, they give you a red shirt year. Why? At least show that you belong. And if he can show that he belongs, I think he's got a path to sticking around in Green Bay, if not on the roster as the number three back, at least on the practice squad, uh, staying ready, staying healthy from the Packers inevitably need somebody. I think that's kind of what the Packers are thinking too, because they really didn't add any other bodies at running back other than Kylan Hill this year. Because as we head to the last guy on our list, we arrive at Dexter Williams. Williams is the only guy on this list who I think has pretty low expectations. Honestly, how could anybody's expectations for Dexter Williams be lower at this point? He has seven carries for 19 yards in seven games over two years. For a former draft pick, seventh round pick or otherwise, that just isn't getting it done. That's not somebody who is showing, yes, I absolutely belong on an NFL roster. And look, he's supposed to be a great scheme fit, supposed to have experience in zone blocking schemes dating back to Notre Dame. He's a good athlete. It just hasn't come together for him. That's why I think the expectations have to be pretty, pretty low for Dexter Williams. For him, if he makes the roster and can provide even, say, some special teams value, really anything else is a bonus. That's how low the expectations are for him at this point. But he still is around, and uh, and we'll see if the Packers decide that they want to keep him around. Let's switch gears entirely here. This seemed like a good podcast to try to fit in some talk about the specialists on the roster. Other than, well, I guess the specialists, there's no other position group that has as few players around other than quarterbacks too, I suppose, as the as running backs. So if we we're going to do double up on, on a position uh, and talk about some of the special teamers uh, on the roster, this is the time to do it. There are currently six special teams specialists on the roster right now. We've got kickers Mason Crosby and J.J. Molson, punters J.K. Scott and Ryan Winslow, and long snappers Hunter Bradley and Joe Fortunato. Top to bottom, let's go here. Mason Crosby, the kicker. I think you've got to be having some pretty high expectations for Crosby in 2021. This is kind of what I would describe as the high-wire act of aging but still good players. He's been good in the past, 
uh, really since 2012, it's been a, a pretty strong, solid run for Mason Crosby. But sooner or later, he's going to decline. When is that going to be? Who knows? Uh, but until he does, it's hard to not have high expectations for him. So what does that look like? Continue to be good Mason Crosby. Being a kicker in the NFL is kind of a zero-sum game. Either you're putting him through the uprights or you're not. And as long as he can continue to do that in the situations where the Packers ask him to convert those field goals, there's no reason to move on from him. Uh, so just continue to be the good version of Mason Crosby. That's it. Pretty simple. What about J.J. Molson? Given that he is but a nominal challenger to Mason Crosby, it's hard to have anything but low expectations for him. Look, he is in camp. Yes, the Packers are, I suppose, technically having a position battle here. But I don't think anybody can honestly say they expect J.J. Molson to take Mason Crosby's job. Thus, for Molson, all we're asking here is just show that you're competent. Show there's a reason that the Packers invited you to camp. Show there's a reason that the Packers wanted to have you around last year just in case something happened to Mason Crosby. He got sick or something. Just show why that happened. That's all. Show you belong. And chances are you'll get another crack at a job with another NFL team if you can show that you do that. Punter, though, is a different story. Uh, J.K. Scott comes into 2021 with about the highest expectations I think any Packers punter has had since B.J. Sander. And we won't go into the the rabbit hole of sadness that is B.J. Sander, but uh, J.K. Scott uh, got drafted in the fifth round, and his goal for 2021 is basically showing that taking a punter in the fifth round was not a dumb thing to do. So he's got to hold off Ryan Winslow to start and then be consistent for a full season. J.K. Scott has shown that he can be consistent for a full or for games at a time, really almost punt to punt in the past, but he needs to put a get together for an entire year. And that's not really something you should be asking of a punter who you drafted in the fifth round heading into his third season. Hey, could you please do your job week in and week out? Don't make us look bad. And for goodness sake, if you get the option to tackle a punt returner in the open field, just don't look like a baby giraffe wearing ice skates. Thank you. That would be great. Uh, That's it for J.K. Scott. Just win a roster spot and be consistent for the whole season. Because I think even if he does win a spot, the fact that the Packers have a guy in camp challenging him shows that they wouldn't be all that upset about uh, pulling him, I guess permanently cutting him, Uh, if he struggles at any point during the season. What about Ryan Winslow then? I think his goal for this year uh, is to put some real heat on J.K. Scott. And as with him and Joe Fortunato, there's really significantly less pressure here. The pressure is on the incumbent. Winslow didn't punt for the Packers last year. If he doesn't get a job this year, nothing's different for him. Thus, I think the pressure is on J.K. Scott. So Winslow's really just got to live up to relatively moderate expectations. Come in and be solid. Put some heat on J.K. Scott. And if you do make the roster, carry that number 45 jersey into the regular season because that would just be cool as heck, having a punter wearing number 45. I hope that he, if he makes the roster, uh, sticks with that jersey number. Not a lot to ask. Do your best. Put some heat on J.K. Scott. Maybe you end up winning a job. Hunter Bradley and Joe Fortunato are in a very similar roster battle. The Packers drafted a long snapper back in 2018 who hasn't been all that much above replacement level, if at all. 
you can go back and look at the times when Mason Crosby has missed kicks over the past three years or so. Most of them have to do with uh, bad snaps. Some of them have been the result of bad holds, but I think the the majority of them you can you can tie to bad snaps. And I'm not sure why Bradley has gotten such a long leash, given that he wasn't like a terrific athlete for a long snapper coming out. But um, now it's put up or shut up time because they have another challenger in camp. And as with J.K. Scott, the pressure is on the incumbent. High expectations for Hunter Bradley. Show us that drafting you wasn't a mistake and show us that you can win a competition when you've got to do it. What that looks like, tighten it up. No mistakes. Give us a clean camp and uh, you'll probably earn yourself a roster spot. Joe Fortunato, like uh, Ryan Winslow before him, is facing pretty moderate expectations. His only job is to put some real heat on Hunter Bradley And uh, if things go well, he'll make the roster. At least don't screw up your shot at getting on another roster because everybody knows there are precious few of these jobs available throughout the NFL. And if Fortunato can put some good stuff on tape or at least uh, make some plays in practice, play solidly in practice, who knows what comes his way down the road. There you have running backs and special teamers. We're going to dive into blood, sweat, and chalk uh, chapter 7 here in just a second. But first, I want to uh, make mention of our uh, Patreon page, patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Uh, your support there really helps us keep the lights on here in a big way. It helps us keep this entire operation going. You are what pays for uh, podcast hosting, uh, website hosting, domain names, new equipment uh, that we got to have uh, every so often. We're trying to make a computer upgrade here in the near future. Uh, you make all of that happen. And uh, you make it so we can keep doing the show. And I'm ever so grateful for everybody who supports us. And I want to give something back to you in return. That is why we're going to try to do some more bonus content on Patreon. And, of course, on top of that, we have our Discord server, which you can access if you are a member of our Patreon team. So head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Donate any amount and you will be uh, invited quite happily to that Discord server where you can chat with Packers fans from around the world about whatever is on your mind. It's great fun. Uh, I enjoyed a lot, and I would love to hang out with you as well. Today, I want to shout out Callum Williams, Easton Honeycutt, and Patrick Snyder, all of whom are Patreon supporters and have been for some time. So thank you to the three of you for supporting us. And if you would like to join up as well, uh, we will give you a shout out on this very podcast and uh, be ever so grateful for what you do. So patreon.com slash the power sweep. Join us there, and uh, we'll talk to you um, whenever you would like, I suppose. Blood, Sweat, and Chalk, Chapter 7. After six chapters talking essentially about the run game, now we get an opportunity to talk about passing. Looking at this chapter, I guess we have to approach it a little bit differently because it's the shortest chapter so far. So normally I I like to talk about overall impressions, then interesting points, and then a few Packers connections. We have one notable Packers connection in this this chapter that we can talk about, but really want to just walk through what made Don Coryell so interesting. If the wishbone, as I described in the last episode, was witchcraft, Don Coryell's offense or offensive philosophy showed me the man behind the curtain. This is the science to the magic. This is the language of football. This is what showed me that football is not necessarily rocket science. It can be very complex, but it's not impenetrable, and it doesn't need to be inaccessible to be really good. I think this chapter shortchanges Don Coryell a little bit. It calls him a genius, but really doesn't explain much as to why. And basically, in short, what makes Don Coryell so impactful on the game of football and 
really offensive philosophy in general, is that he systematized passing in a way that hadn't really been done before. He made it so anybody could pick it up, and he made passing easy to teach. I said the Don Coriel stuff was the language of football, and I think that is the best way to put it, it because Coriel and others, contemporaries, really invented the language that football speaks, and you can still hear roots of it in the West Coast offense today, in the Kyle Shanahan, uh, Mike Shanahan, uh, Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay offenses. There is stuff still in there that comes directly from Don Coriel. His offense was based on a couple assumptions. First, he wanted to pass the ball, so he started with three main receivers on the field most of the time. An X and Y wide receiver, or an X and a Z wide receiver, and a Y, which was a tight end. So you had your X, Y, and Z on the field at all times. Each of those three guys gets a number in a passing play, and this is where Don Coriel's offense really comes to play because he made it easy to understand pass routes. Those numbers that everybody gets correspond with routes on what's called the route tree, and you've probably seen these before, but they show all the routes that you can run, and they assign numbers to them. For instance, just walking through it, a one is a hitch route. You run five yards and and turn around uh, facing the quarterback. That's a hitch. A two is a slant. Take a couple steps, slant towards the middle. A three is an out. Take five to ten yards, go downfield, cut towards the sideline. A four is an in. A five is a comeback. Uh, You run farther down the field and turn to the outside and come back towards the quarterback. A six is a curl route. It's basically the same thing, but towards the inside. A seven is a corner, an eight is a post, and a nine is a go route, a fly route. Just run straight down the field. Each of those numbers is going to appear in your pass route description. Then, after you list those three numbers, you tag additional responsibilities on with other positions. So, circling back to that standard Coriel formation, you're probably in 21 personnel, so that means you have two backs to go with one tight end and your two wide receivers. Those two backs are called the H and the F, the halfback and the fullback. The Packers still have the F position in their offense. So, putting that all together, we can talk about a famous Don Coriel play. 545 F post. So you come out in your formation. Let's imagine one where you have the receiver, one receiver, the X receiver to the left side, and the Z receiver to the right. The tight end is on the right side of the line next to the right tackle, and you have your two backs in the backfield split behind the quarterback under center. What you would see as pro formation, I think, in Madden most of the time. You want all three primary receivers to run a pattern. Then you want the F back to do something too. This pattern is going to have two comeback routes on the outside, a crossing route from the tight end, uh, an in route from the tight end, I suppose we should say, and then a post from the fullback. So how do you describe that? Well, you list your receivers for first. You have five, four, five, left to right, your X receiver, your Y, your tight end, and your Z receiver, and then your F post, 545 F post. Altogether, here's what you'd have in the huddle. You need to have the name of the formation, Let's say, for example, they call this formation red because the tight end lines up on the right side of the line. You see the connection there, red and right, both start with R. You've got the pattern, 545 for your receivers and tight end, F post for the fullback, then your cadence on one. So your quarterback steps up into the huddle and says, red, 545, F post on one. Break. You head to the line of scrimmage, you run your play. That is what Don Coriel invented. That was his innovation. He gave football a language, 
and made it easy to speak. And it's undersold how revolutionary that is. Giving football a common language, this stuff all still translates today. That's why you can go from Don Coryell in the 70s and 80s uh, running this offense to the Cowboys in the 90s to the Cowboys in the 2000s and beyond, as, uh, as was outlined in this chapter, because the language hasn't changed all that much. There are different concepts who approach the language a little bit differently, but that's how it works. He invented that entire way of thinking about football, and as you can see, it travels to just about everywhere. So how do the Packers factor into this? Well, we got one notable Packers coach mentioned in this chapter, and that would be Dom Capers, essentially co-coach with Dick LeBeau uh, in Pittsburgh, co-defensive coordinator, at least very close friends with Dick LeBeau, and they helped develop the zone blitz, which worked to put people essentially in places that uh, people running variations of Don Coryell's offense didn't expect them to be. That's why the zone blitz was so effective. You've got linebackers coming from all over the place. You've got down linemen dropping into coverage like B.J. Raji in the 2010 NFC Championship game. That worked really well until it didn't. You kind of get the sense that Capers' defense had to evolve and evolve and evolve to be more and more complex to counter the growing complexity of offenses that were trying to counter things like the zone blitz. And eventually, Capers' defense just seemed to kind of collapse under its own weight. One of the consistent criticisms you heard about Capers down the stretch in Green Bay was that his defense was too complex. You couldn't run it with young players. You had to have guys that had just years and years and years of experience, and the Packers built their roster to kind of center around young guys. That just didn't mix. And instead of changing, Capers just kept trying to do the same thing, and the Packers didn't make the change probably as soon as they probably could have or should have. And uh, we've gotten, well, a solid decade of discussion out of that talking point as a result. But that shouldn't undersell how effective a defense Capers ran in the NFL for a long time. And the reason he ran that offense was to counter things like Don Coryell's uh, increased, simplified, more effective passing game. That's the legacy of Don Coryell affecting the offensive and defensive sides of football in the NFL. So I've got for you on this episode. I appreciate you listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it even more if you would go ahead and share it with someone you think would enjoy it as well. It's going to help more people find the show. That's going to get more people involved in this conversation we're having about the Packers and ultimately help everybody, me included, become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.